Hey everybody, welcome back to the Convergence Podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. It's a space to think, question, doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, worship. We are so glad you're here. This talk took place back on December 9th, 2021, when our good friend Dr. Carmen Meyer came to speak to us during Advent about the history and future of Jesus. Carmen is our Anglican chaplain at the University of Calgary and also the associate priest at St. James Anglican here in Calgary. Carmen has been a friend of the Convergence and we're so grateful she agreed to come and teach us during the Advent season. Hope you enjoy this message. Pastor Phil asked me to come and talk about an Advent theme, namely Incarnation and Second Coming, and I thought, yeah, piece of cake, okay, so I'm supposed to preach on the whole New Testament then? Um, (laughs) But I I figured out that they're actually really related, and you can't really speak about one without the other, so um, I'm going to talk about Incarnation and Second Coming, uh, mostly from the angle of Second Coming, but let me see a prayer. Good Lord, we love you, and we worship you, and we create space for you to speak to us again. Lord, you love to speak to your people. You love to console our hearts. You love to open our eyes to understand scripture anew. So I pray that you would reveal to us more of your good and rich kingdom life tonight. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. We, we say in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, and in the translation that I'm accustomed to using, we say, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We're not going to get into judgment, but judgment is not a bad thing because it means that justice will come. Advent means coming. In the Latin, adventus, it, um, it has its origin. Um, we sing that great Advent song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And this is our cry during Advent. We're looking forward to two comings. The first coming, so we can sing, O come, let us adore him. Right? So we're looking for that, that moment where Jesus comes to earth. Um, where God comes in the form of a babe to reveal God's self to us. And at the same time, we look to the second coming because we know that the first coming has already occurred. And so we live in this tension between the yet and not yet, this, um, this salvation that has come to us in the babe Jesus and is not yet fully completed. And so we're somewhere in the uncomfortable sometimes in between. So we probably know who we're waiting for, right? We're waiting for Jesus. But my question tonight is, how are we waiting for Jesus? But first, a few things about Jesus coming. What, why, when, how, and where? Anyone want to do this part? (laughs) What? Jesus returned to earth, 
So Jesus lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he's coming again. We just said this all in the creed. This is our faith. Why? So that the rule of Christ may be brought to completion. It may be perfected. We may actually see complete victory over everything um, related to death. So Jesus' resurrection was his victory over death, but still not over all the effects of the sin. Sin leads to death whose effects we see everywhere. So everywhere where we see death and decay, that's where we see sin active, whether it be in our own lives, in society, or in creation. We are waiting for God to be all in all, for all things to be placed under Jesus' feet, for everyone to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. When will this happen? My question is, should we really be talking about this? Like, doesn't scripture tell us over and over and over again to not be speculating about the times or the seasons? You don't know. And still, Jesus' disciples asked him, we see this in Matthew 24, Jesus, tell us the signs of the kingdom. Like, tell us, when is, how is this all going to come to pass these, these last days? And Jesus graciously gives them some hints in, in, that, in that area. But... Um, I am not going to dwell on pre-tribulation and post-tribulation and what is the rapture. So if you're disappointed, I'm sorry. The point in all of these signs is to warn us and to invite us to be ready. And so we are waiting, but how are we waiting? Are we waiting actively? So how is Jesus coming? Well, in the clouds, right? Sunday school, flannel graph, Jesus... You know, same way he was sended as he's coming back. Um, right. So the clouds are a symbol in scripture for God's presence. And coming um, is the English translation for Greek term parousia. But actually, parousia is two words, par with usia being. Parousia, it means being with. The second coming is about God being with God's people. We see this longing all throughout the Old Testament. God's longing to be with God's people. And there will be a time where there will be nothing but knowledge of God's presence with us. So where? Well, it's a bit complicated on earth but what about heaven so it's heaven coming to earth how about it's the marriage of heaven and earth in revelation 21 we see jerusalem coming from heaven to earth dressed as a bride and so nt wright really helps me here he talks about and i probably should have quoted him to do him justice but he talks about there are two different dimensions that are simultaneously existing. We're not always aware of them. We're very maybe aware of, you know, I can see you all sort of sitting here. Um, we're aware of what we can see, touch, experience with our senses. We're not always so aware with, uh, of the spiritual or heavenly dimension. But Jesus' coming will cause a convergence, haha. Um, I love puns, sorry. Um, will cause a coming together of these two spheres of reality, these different dimensions simultaneously existing, 
but not yet evident to all until the second coming. And then all will have a big aha moment. So we will see the new heavens and the, and the new earth, but there will be a continuity from this present existence to the future because God said that creation was good. We see here in Romans 8 that we read today, there's a metaphor of creation groaning as a woman in childbirth, longing for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for ourselves to be made perfect, to be risen, to be with Christ, so that it will also follow in like manner. So it's not only us who are saved. It's all of creation that will be saved and redeemed. So it's, it's a new birth. It's a new birth. There's continuity. You can read about this in um, Corinthians about there being continuity between our own physical bodies and our spiritual resurrected body. God isn't going to wipe it out, nullify it as though it were evil. But what if there were no second coming? So what if we don't actually believe that there is a second coming? So there's just incarnation, resurrection, ascension, but no return. And then when we die, we go to meet Jesus in heaven, right? That seems easier, doesn't it? Um, but then there's no resurrection body, which we're promised that we will receive upon Jesus' return. And there's no new earth, which we're promised will occur at Jesus' return. So there's, there's no body, there's no earth, just spirits in heaven. Well, this is a platonic model. Material existence inferior to the spiritual. The goal is to depart from the body and unite with the world of more real forms. The result is that the body is denigrated. So for example, severe acts of asceticism or denial of the body. Or it can just be disregard for our own physical well-beings. It can be disregard for creation. So we escape from the body and everything having to, be, uh, to do with embodiment then. And um, we leave behind any institutions that we create, society, uh, creation. It just doesn't matter. We don't need to tend to any of these things because in the end, we're just going to escape from it all and be united in our spirit with God. And so then what happens is that we preach to hearts and we preach to save souls, but we don't care for society and we don't care for the earth. But if the God of Christianity was a platonic God, why, and this is incarnation now, why did he send Jesus, fully God and fully human, in the first place. Why was it important that in the incarnation the word became flesh, as in John 1.14? When God became man in Jesus, the entire created order was sanctified, was touched by his divine and holy presence. That goodness that was announced in, in Genesis was reaffirmed 
God came in a body. And our entire humanity was sanctified. Athanasius famously said in the 4th century, what was not taken up was not redeemed. Our humanity would not be redeemed if Jesus had not become fully human. God created and said that it was good. And for God so loved, not anthropos, not persons, not human beings only. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if God just wanted to save our spirits or souls, then the son would have not needed to take on flesh, but could have been like any number of early Christian heresies taught, just a phantom, an appearance, a spirit, but not truly human. And how do we live if there's no second coming? We abdicate responsibility for society, creation, our own bodies, our institutions, including the church. There's no meaning to earthly existence besides the present. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We're buying time. There's no future, and so there's no hope. And we talk about being present, and I'm not a philosopher, but I cannot wrap my brain around being present without there being a past and a future. I can be present in the moment. I love sitting in the silence. I'm all about that. I'm good. I love meditating, right? But when I'm there in that space, in God's presence, trying to just be present to the moment, I can be there because I know who I am. And I know who I am because of the history that I've been given through my family and my friends and knowledge of God and everything that has happened in my life. And I can leave that place of silence because I believe that when I move out into the future, there's going to be one. And so without a future, there really doesn't seem to be any reason to even be present, in my view. So what if, in fact, there is a second coming, as we say there is in the creed? And here is where my question of how we are waiting comes in. Are we going to separate our spiritual lives from the rest of our lives as a happy escape, perhaps? Or as something we do on Sundays with certain persons, but then go off to our studies as though what we invest the rest of our time in is completely unrelated? It's just our spirits or even our hearts or our minds that matter. And as, as long as I believe in Jesus and have the correct formulas, I'm set for heaven. But really, what about the rest of our lives on earth? And probably a lot of you have more to say about this than even I do, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Salvation, sozo, the Greek word, means to heal. And Jesus healed more than spirits and hearts and minds. He healed bodies. This was a sign of the kingdom. And his life made a real social impact in his context around him, or else he would not have been crucified. If Jesus just came and meditated, what would that have said about the kingdom of God? It would have been kind of a platonic worldview, wouldn't it have, that he would have passed on. So if we're called to participate in God's saving work, and I believe that we are, because we're called to share the good news of salvation, 
not only salvation from the sin that we imagine resides only in our spirits, and I question, is it possible? Is it possible for sin to somehow just sort of be cordoned off in, in our spirits? Or does sin not actually invade our entire beings? But supposing one could just be saved from spiritual, some spiritual reality of sin, what would that mean for us? Again, then we're in a kind of a platonic way of being. We're delivered somehow spiritually, but how does that relate to the rest of life? God's saving work, in fact, does concern the whole person who lives in a society and who is an embodied part of God's saving work. Um, sorry, embodied part of God's creation. And so if we are to participate in God's saving work, should we not also then be healers, not only of souls, which is important, but of whole persons, of whole societies, and even of creation? If the answer is yes, then our waiting for the second coming is not a passive waiting for the end of this life as we know it, so we can leave our bodies and the world for heaven. Rather, it's an active waiting. So let me propose um, a few things uh, concerning this active waiting. I just want to do a little divergence here. I was listening to one of the previous talks of Convergence, and it kept coming back to me as I was thinking about tonight. It's this whole notion of deconstruction and reconstruction. And I want to share with you that I was raised as a Pentecostal and wanted to be a Pentecostal pastor, and then I did a whole bunch of studies, and it sort of... I kind of morphed and reemerged as an Anglican. Um, that's my short version. But I have to say that um, I'm actually really, really comfortable just being in the presence of the Lord. I love to be with Jesus, and I love to just be in the silence, in the presence of my Lord. So this whole aspect of um, tending to the whole person that is saved is personally challenging for me. So I'm inviting you on a journey that I am taking as this part of my faith has been deconstructed and is being reconstructed even now at the old age that I am. It's an ongoing process, as was said then, um, and there's nothing to be afraid of because... God is bigger, God is greater, God has us, God has our hearts. And if there are times when our minds cannot make sense of anything, it's okay. Just pray with a friend. The community holds us. When we go through times of struggling, it's actually healthy to let yourself struggle. It's healthy, especially in university, to allow the questions come and to come and not to try to make them go away because Sunday school faith needs to become adult faith. And adult faith needs to grow up again and again and again. We never end because we are changed from glory to glory to glory. And when we are on the other side, we will never stop learning because we aren't God. We will be immortal. And so we will have the rest of our existence to keep learning. Um, and so don't be afraid of learning. Don't be, be afraid when things fall apart because God's steadfast love is always the same for you and for me. All right, so active waiting for the second coming or incarnational theology 101. 
Um, what we're trying to do is understand what difference it makes that Jesus became incarnate and that Jesus is coming again. What difference does it make for my life right now? So persons, institutions, and creation. Those are three aspects we can look at. First, persons. So we are spirit, soul, and body. And our spirits, when we come to know God, are awakened. We, we come to life. And we receive the gift of eternal life. We receive the gift of adoption. We become children of God. And we live in this beautiful reality. Our souls also may experience healing, perhaps immediately, but more likely repeatedly throughout life. Our emotions are healed. Our thinking is transformed. Our wills are constantly redirected in service and worship of our Lord and in service and love of our neighbor. And then we have these bodies. So what does this have to do with salvation? Aren't we just brains on sticks, like one scholar said? No, we see, we hear, we touch, we taste, we smell. And this is where um, the traditions that hold to a, a more... Um, overt, I would say, sacramental theology, like the Anglicans, Lutherans, whatever, mainline denominations. Um, this is where the, the kind of the tactile is a little bit more, it's played up a little bit, right? So, so we will have communion or Holy Eucharist probably every week um, because of that desire to encounter God in the language that we can understand, which is through our humanity, and our humanity touches, tastes, sees, hears, doesn't just think. We're not just brains on sticks. Another thing that you can do that I like to do is get out in nature. I love to go to the mountains, and I find that my, my whole life is reoriented, and I can return to my work, and, I, and God can speak to me in ways when I'm in touch with creation that just doesn't happen if I'm sitting at my desk. We can feast. We can feast with our friends. Um, we can care for our bodies. These are things that we can do um, to be incarnational, to be like Jesus, to be embodied, to be part of this creation. You're not a robot. You are God's beautiful creation. And so we don't need to um, turn into our devices. We need to remember that we are part of this beautiful creation. It's so easy during COVID to forget um, that, that we are to engage the beauty of creation because creation ever points us to the creator. And so my question simply is, how are we involving our bodies as we experience and share salvation or healing or share the good news of the kingdom? Secondly, our institutions. So we're moving from the personal level to the communal level here. How are we persons in relationship? Well, the answer really is in institutions because we need to create structures um, in which our lives together are supported. And so we have the most basic structure of the family unit. We have schools. We have churches. We have governments and different levels. But these structures can become dead or worse, oppressive if they are not continually renewed by the Holy Spirit um, or by what we believe is true, good, and beautiful as revealed to us in the scriptures. And so my question is this, are we willing 
to be voices or agents for justice. Isaiah 58 talks about true fasting to those who are religious. And God says, this is not the kind of fasting I'm asking for, for you to put sackcloth and ashes on and to abstain, and yet you fight with one another. True fasting is to loose the bonds of injustice. It is to clothe the naked and to um, feed the hungry. And we see kind of a repeat of this in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, you, when, when you fed the hungry, you were feeding me. And so we can look at Jesus again. Jesus didn't just sit there meditating. Jesus went out and met the people who were on the margins. And he became an agent of change within his society. Third, creation. So now we're moving from the communal level to the cosmic level. The created physical order that we inhabit together. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19. As I said earlier, Romans 1. Creation ever points us to the creator. It's our first encounter with the gospel. It's the gospel before we get the full package with the incarnation. We are to see creation and recognize that there is a hand behind that. And Romans 8, creation groans, as I said earlier. Creation is alive, but it is also suffering under the effects of sin and death and decay. And so it also, of course, is undergoing the effects of sin of humankind in various ways. And so the question is, Will we care for the earth? Not only fulfilling the command we all know to be stewards of creation, right? But what about love for neighbor? Isn't, isn't the gospel summed up in love of God and love for neighbor? So I grew up half my life anyway in Calgary and going to the mountains, and I completely took for granted the clear water that we still have there. But it's occurring to me that I actually have a responsibility to help keep it that way. Why? Yes, because we're stewards of creation, but because I want the next generations actually to experience clean water. So in closing, um, we're all students here, most of us, yeah? Not everybody. Well, all of us study anyway. So my question is, how beyond persons, institutions, creation, how do your studies maybe relate to any of these aspects? Right? So I studied religion and Christianity, so it's pretty easy kind of to see in a way um, how it relates. But... But like, what if you're a scientist or um, like, what if you're trying to figure out a way to um, clean up oil spills or um, to solve some world problems like hunger, um, working with crops or whatever it is that you're doing? Do you actually see your studies as part of your participation in God's healing work on the earth? because you could, I can't really think of any field of study that can't in some way relate to being redemptive for humanity, redemptive 
for um, the earth, redemptive for our institutions that are so often broken. So you don't need to segment your Christian life from everything else that you do. Part of the work of being a university student is to achieve a higher level integration between, this is liberal arts, classic liberal arts, right? You want to integrate your head with your heart with your life. You want to become a whole person so that you're not like a Christian on Sundays and then you're doing your, your, your science lab here and then you're going to the bar with your friends here. It's somehow all got to come together. It's somehow all got to be a preaching of the good news, an embodiment an incarnational embodiment of God's divine presence and God's imprinted image on you for the world, which is unique and can't be repeated by anybody else. So I've done this emphasis on on material creation, and I challenge us and I challenge myself to continue to, to work that out. This is in progress for me, and I'm open to your feedback about it. But I do want to say that it doesn't mean with this emphasis on incarnation and the goodness of the materiality of Christianity, it doesn't mean that we're citizens of the earth only, right? So in a couple places in the New Testament, we're told that we are citizens of heaven. And so there's a real spiritual sense that we are actually seated with Christ in the heavens. And this is where these two realities, the spiritual and the physical are convergent even now in our present yet not yet existence. It is true that we have access to the Father through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is true that we have access to that same power that rose Jesus from the dead. We are infused with the divine life. We breathe it and we should be aware of that. Um, And so what that means, though, is if we are aware of our existence in the kingdom, that we really don't have as much to lose anymore, right? So, because without the kingdom, and I only have the flip side of Platonism, right, which we often see in our society, is this grasping onto things and this idolatry of stuff. Because if that's all I have, then I find my security in all that kind of stuff. But if my security and my identity is in being a child of God and being a citizen first and foremost of the kingdom of God, then seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And the result is actually that all these things then can be enjoyed fully because I am not desperately grasping onto them for security, but I'm receiving them out of God's gracious abundance to me. Everything from the pizza that I eat, to the car that I drive, to anything material that I enjoy, can be truly, fully received as God's goodness. But I'm not holding on to it. So you want my pizza? You want my car? Right? Because God will take care of me because I am seeking the kingdom first. So this actually really, really frees us to continue in the knowledge that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Finally, I also don't just want to emphasize action. So, you know, we talk about the active life. We do need to be engaged in 
in working for the oppressed, working for justice in our societies. Um, but oftentimes, we need actually the contemplative life to undergird that kind of active life. It's very difficult to just throw ourselves out there, especially if we're doing it in the name of Jesus, if we don't take time like Jesus to come apart and be with the Father, right? And so we actually need wisdom <laughs> before we go out and act or speak on behalf of the oppressed. We need hearts that are formed. We need a knowledge of scripture. We need the experience of Jesus and the infusion of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is that which empowers us so we don't burn out because it's his thing, not ours. And so... On the other hand, sometimes um, people are frustrated because they don't have a sense of the experience of God. And so contemplation becomes difficult and frustrating because I can't feel God. I'm just sitting here in the silence. I hate this, right? And that's okay because you're a Martha, not a Mary. I'm a Mary. I'm cool with that. You might not be cool with that. So you start from the other side, right? You start from serving Jesus practically. But you don't do it divorced from the prayer, Lord, may I see you more fully. So I do believe that is the case, that, um, that when our actions are offered as prayers to see more clearly who it is we are serving, that Jesus will receive Jesus will make himself known to us. Because when I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me, right? So you don't have to be one or the other. In fact, it's best if they can play off of each other. Um, and so uh, may the Lord of all for whom we wait reveal himself to us afresh. This Advent is my prayer. Amen. Okay. So I'm putting Carmen on the spot, but I just asked her like two seconds ago. Um, uh, so just tonight, I'm, you know, driving my daughter. And like I was, you know, we were talking about earlier. I just think there's so much that's falling apart. And I, but I said, but I see God in this. And um, it's right before I drop her off at work. And she's like, yeah, but like you know, basically the whole thing's falling apart and even, so even climate stuff, mm -hmm. um, I had heard and this, I think Tom, I saw Tom here tonight. So this is dangerous. He's like, you know, just about finished his PhD and in this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, people saying like in our lifetime, Miami could be underwater and all these dreadful kinds of things. So how, you know, on the one hand, we're, we're working um, towards these things. On the other hand, sometimes that work seems futile. Um, how, does, how does the second coming play into that? And, you know, so my daughter basically left hopeless going into work, and I didn't, I'm <laughs> like, you know, she had to rush into her shift. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is big. Um, like, how would you address that in terms of the second coming? Because part of what I'm hearing you saying is, man, we have to take this, like, dead serious. This is part of what it means to live as a, as a Christian, uh, to care about creation. And on the other hand, um, and I see the continuity in these, you're also saying, and we, we can also um, not relax our efforts, but like not live in complete 
abandoned fear about this. So how does, you know, the coming of Jesus play into that for you? Yeah, I've had to wrestle with this a little bit, I, you know, because cause I always want to see the results. Like, why should I do something if I'm not going to see the results? So why should I um, plant a tree if, like, you know, we're going to be above 1.5 degrees Celsius in however many years if, you know, not everybody else, yeah. does, you know, like... So it can it can be um, it can lead us to despair. But but the mystery of of the way that we are created is that for some reason, God doesn't need us, but but God wants us. Mm. And I actually experience the fullness of who I am as a human being when I participate in God's creative action. Mm. And so that means even though I will not solve the problem of world hunger by giving this person a granola bar. I should still give this person a granola bar because it's an outflow of, um, of the incarnate presence of Jesus in me by the Spirit. So Jesus himself was limited to a time and place in his incarnation, right? So he could not be in Britain when he was in Jerusalem. Now, because he is resurrected and the spirit has been given over all of the earth, we can experience Jesus' presence. But we live in the not yet. So, we, so creation has not yet, like we're in this, all of these problems are real and they still exist, but like we're just trying to be like Jesus. We're just trying to touch this person and that issue and speak here like Jesus did, knowing that there will be continuity even in our acts. Mm. So the granola bar that I give has eternal weight. Mm. I am participating in the new creation now by doing what I'm doing. I don't know, you know, how it's all going to come together, mm-hmm. but I do believe that there will be one day when there will be no more tears and no more mourning, no more injustice, no more sin, no more death, right? That's God's thing, not mine. Right now, I'm just trying to, to be my little self that can be used by God in my little context in history and kind of leave the rest. And I find that by doing that, that's, that gives me, that's the meaning that God wants me to live into in this life. Mm. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Carmen, thanks. I, your, your bit on um, deconstruction was like the most sane thing I've heard. There's so much insanity right now about people talking about deconstruction, like how to do it, how not to do it, and, you know, it's terrible. And, it's all, it's, and so it was just so sane and lovely. Thank you for that. All right. We'll see you next time at the Convergence. Until then, grace and peace.